I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Connor. He was a former sex addict and the founder of Man Talks. Let's talk about it. Like your, 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 oh, um, oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, hello. Oh, hello. I feel like you're the, the, the uh, let me know if you need to be turned up or turned down or anything like that. Turn, turn down for what? Have you seen the <laughs> Hank Hill? Turn, turn down for what? Can no, you, I haven't. Oh, man. Can you turn down my headphones? Yeah, yeah I got you. Hank Hill. Um, no, it's, it's so good. It's, he's hilarious. It's like this, uh, that it, show's not still running, right? I mean, I hope not. <laughs> I mean, I, I liked the show in like high school, but yeah. I, I hope it's not still running. No, so there's, God, there's, it was dry. There's like that, there's like that song turned down for what? Yeah, and then yeah, there's yeah. a, there's a somebody did a remix online of Hank Hill, and he's like, oh, 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 yeah, Tur- turn down for what? Yeah, that's a that's a solid impression of Hank. Yeah, really really I got lots of impressions. <laughs> I, I loved Jim Carrey as a kid. So. Yeah. Oh he, my god, he's he, one of my favorite ever. We, we literally were talking about this the other day. Uh, his his portrayal in Me, Myself, and Irene. Mm. That moment where he first uh, kind of s- crosses over in the in the grocery store, he's sit- standing there, and the lady and her kids come through, and and she's like, "Oh, excuse me," and he just kind of is like, "Oh yeah, sure, go ahead," and then and then the kids are really loud, and he just kind of like starts to snap, and that that super intense heavy music comes on, and he just like the the contortions in his face, and like yeah. the subtlety though it, within the, the the large movements. Man, he is uh, he's, he's a hero. He's, he's a, a champion. Hero of mine, yeah. yeah, he really is a champ. Um, speaking of champions, uh, we're sitting here today with uh, none other than Connor. What, what's your last name, Connor? Beaton. Beaton. Yeah, it's, and, uh, it's um, Scottish. And I'm guessing I just I you Lots know of Beatons in Nova Scotia. Really? There are, yeah. yeah. Oh man, New my, Scotland, my friend. My people didn't make it over here. <laughs> are you from Vancouver, Connor? I'm actually from uh, Central Alberta, so I grew up in Saint Albert, which is just outside of Edmonton. It's like a suburb. Okay, cool, sweet. Yeah, it's a hockey town. And and what are you doing out here, Connor? Uh, well, I actually moved out here to do my university degree, and so I came out here uh, about nine years ago and did a degree in music. Uh, I was a classical singer, so I sang sang opera. What? Uh, of all things, I know, really weird. Um, but uh, yeah, now I run an organization called Mantox, and that started here in Vancouver. Uh, we put on events. It's kind of been we ha- we we were featured in like CBC and the National Post, and they they described us as TED Talks meets Oprah, but for guys. I I was thinking uh, I like I, I thought Mantox. That's like what Donald Trump is talking about, like in the locker room, right? <laughs> <laughs> is that what that is? Absolutely fucking not. <laughs> no, not quite. <laughs> grab, grab her by the no, don't no. That's, that's don't, not, don't, don't do, do that. that. No, not those Mantox. No, then. not those Mantox. We we uh, we really want to create a space of like positive masculinity and break away from a lot of the you know stereotypical conversations the boobs 
you know, blood sports and yeah. babes, yeah. you know, that we that we usually talk about and have like real conversations about finances and fatherhood and well, those things. I, I, and I'm curious to know actually because uh, you know when I hear the the name man talks. Um, I'm assuming you guys must have run up against people that just assumed, oh, you guys are a men's rights activist group. Yeah, I mean, occasionally that's where people go. Right. Um, only if they just look at the name and don't they look, look any at further. Nothing else. So, like how most people look at uh, like the headline of an article on Facebook, on Facebook. and then and then make detailed comments about. How I was they thinking feel about exactly. It. That. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and I can always tell when uh, you know when people have done that when they've just like yeah. looked at the name and nothing else. And it's really, it's always really interesting. But um, you know, our events are open to men and women. It's not just like it's a guys only thing. We want women mm. to be part of the conversation. And I think for too long we've sort of had these like dry, stodgy uh, men's groups and men's organizations where you know a lot of shit happens behind the scenes, and women aren't a part of that narrative. Mm. And so they feel very left out, which right, you know, rightfully so. A yeah. lot of, a lot of the you know oppression in the world that's happened has come because there's a group of guys behind closed doors making decisions, and so I feel like if we can open up that conversation and invite all genders in, all sexual preferences in, but still be focused in on developing better men and building better men, then we have a hope, we have a we have a chance of actually you know deepening a level of equality in the workplace and you know actually like rectifying some of these issues. So when you hold uh, one of these events, like. Um uh, how many how many people are you generally seeing come out and and what's what is that demographic look like yeah. uh, like what is the the scale of which people show up so um, so here in Vancouver we have them on a monthly basis and we see on average like 150 people every month oh wow yeah so it's usually a good turnout um, and we have a pretty solid foundation here the event now because uh, like the events are not all nonprofit so we're building a scholarship for young men to gain access to things like positive psychology or mentorship programs that they wouldn't have access to normally mm-hmm. um, so that's the event here in Vancouver we have quarterly events running now in Toronto Los Angeles Miami uh, and this upcoming month in November we're launching in Calgary Ottawa Chicago Atlanta Denver, and we're working on San Francisco and New York right now. So, Whoa, shit, that's, so that's a lot on the go. Yeah, yeah. So the, the events are. Uh, <laughs> I'm actually leaving. I have a flight tomorrow morning at five thirty, which I'm not looking forward to. But yeah. <laughs> uh, to to go to New York to have some more conversations with people there. So. Sweet. Cool. Well, um, I think that like this is a really good uh, a really good uh, uh, combination with uh, talking to you and what we do on our show. And I know we were talking before we started recording about. What we do on the show and talking about health and illness and things like that, mental health, physical health. Um, I feel like, do you feel that your work is really related to social health mm. in terms of how promoting conversations between men or com- promoting um, healthy psychology in men and kind of tearing down some of the uh, bravado or machismo in men that kind of that kind of perpetuate a lot of social shit. Yeah, that comes up. Yeah, I mean, we definitely focus in on on social health and building better connections between guys. Um, and you know, to to just back up and answer the second part of your other question uh, around mm. who comes out, mm-hmm. the general demographic is really interesting because we we generally have like early to mid thirties entrepreneurs and people that are like 
kicking ass in life. Yeah. Um, and we seem to attract a very like like-minded crowd of individuals who are are really focused in on on developing them, but also making a difference in their community. Yeah. So that's generally who we bring out. And you know, the the cool part about that is that um, we really are focused in on on social health, but also mental health. Mm-hmm. And there's a little known fact that uh, there's been a lot of studies done recently on men's health and there's you know I could prattle off facts like three quarters of the suicides around the world are, are men right mm. it's not wow, three really? quarters three quarters of uh, them so wow. so last year and do we know why that is or yeah i mean there's there's some pretty strong indicators so like you know there was 800,000 people that took their lives last year and 600,000 of them are men right and you know you look at alberta last year which is like the texas of canada and they, they, because of all the struggles that they're having in the oil industry, suicide rates last year alone went up almost 62%. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Jesus. And like, so there, there's some pretty crazy shit out there. And, and, you know, what this really boils down to is there's been some studies done in the UK and Australia and North America. And what they found was is that 50% of men, so half of men over the age of 19, can't identify a close or best friend. So they they don't really have those like really close social connections to be able to say, you know, if my business is falling apart, if my health is falling apart, if you know I lose a parent or something like that, who do I go to? Who, yeah, who do I turn to? Yeah. And and interestingly enough, one of the biggest indicators for depression is just the question: Do you have somebody to call at two o'clock in the morning if yeah. if something's gone wrong? And now, if you- the answer is no, then. Do you think that that comes from like society's views on on um, like lone it, wolf? Type? <laughs> well, or or what I was gonna say was like just being uh, you know the way the way that society is kind of like like when you grow up. I, I when I'm, I remember when I was growing up, it was not that my parents were telling me this, but it was very common to hear. Things like um, you know, like boys don't cry, and yeah. and uh, and like man know, up, man up, exactly. Like yeah, stu- like stuff it down. Don't, Bill don't Burr, be a, don't be a bitch. Don't, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And b- actually, yeah. Bill Burr has an amazing bit where he talks yeah. about this about like suppressing your those emotions, and uh, I mean, it would just make total fucking sense. Maybe this is some bro science here, but <laughs> it would make total sense that um, that you know, an upbringing where you're constantly fed that would feed into. Um, not knowing how to talk to someone, or not knowing who to talk to, because mm. you're afraid of what they might say, or um, yeah, I, I don't I know mean, where I, I feel that in sports for sure. Growing up as an athlete and being that those type of that type of mentality being perpetuated in in athletic atmospheres mm. of all these things that you kind of solidify that you know your emotions, you just need to kind of like. You need to have them under wraps at all times, and yeah. when something comes up, just push through, battle through, and you will persevere and you will win. Kind of idea. Mm. Yeah, like so. My friend Jen, I was talking to my friend Jen, and she was she was telling me about this documentary, and I I feel like such a asshole because I she was like, you have to watch it, and I was like, yeah, I totally will, and then I just I haven't yet. Uh, but it's called The Mask uh, You Live In. Yeah, yeah, The Mask and, Live In. And she was talking about a. a a story that that really resonated with her from that doc, and it was um, it was about this boy, this young boy who was like crying at the at the kitchen table, and he was like really young, and uh, he really loved football, and her mom was like, uh, or his mom was like, um, uh, "Hey, football players don't cry," and as soon as she said that, he like immediately stopped crying, mm-hmm. you know, and and so like this idea that like it, you. 
the people that you look up to, like the things that you want to do in your life, like you can't cry if you want to be that or if you want to do that. And like what, like to to not have the ability to emote and not have the ability to like express how you, you actually feel if something is wrong, I can't even imagine how hard that must be. And yeah, just holding it in, just and trying to deal in, with you know? it all. Well, it yeah. becomes the perfect recipe for mental for a mental illness. Yeah, well, right. the, one of the, you know one of the biggest distinctions that you guys are talking about right now is emotional suppression versus emotional resiliency. And far right. far too often, you know, our our kids like we've even I grew up, you know, in Alberta, growing up in Alberta, there was a lot of that kind of talk. You know, yeah. it's a very sort of like hard culture, and there isn't a lot of room for. Uh, emotions, because mm-hmm. for a lot of men, the stigma is that if you're a successful man, then you're logical, you're linear, you're rational, and and that's what a successful man looks like. And emotions are just weaknesses. Yeah. And so they're they're in the communication and the upbringing for a lot of young men. It just equals emotional suppression, right? And so they end up stuffing these feelings down and not knowing how to actually process them. And that's what leads to drinking, to sex addiction, to drugs, to gambling, all those pieces because they don't know how to actually deal with them. And then when the emotions do come up because they don't know how to process them or it's like, this is wrong, I shouldn't be experiencing this, they turn to things to, to numb it all up. Other things to and cope that, with it. Yeah. And is that the, the emotional resiliency, the ability to have emotions come up, process them, and, and kind of them. react accordingly based on your emotions to not let them kind of like beat you down and own you, but to, but to kind of be with them? Is that the flip yeah. side of that? Yeah, I mean, you know, like when you think of like the Stoics, right, and, mm. and the Greeks, they, they were the way that they were, not because they ignored emotions, but because they actually um, studied them in a, in a lot of ways mm. and got comfortable with them and started to understand them. You can't like remove those parts of yourself, right? And and pretend that it's that it's just not there. Like you, they're they're always there unless you're a complete sociopath and like legitimately right. don't yeah. feel those things. Yeah, actually, yeah. But 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 the funny thing is, is that we we actually try and teach men to be sociopaths in, in a lot of in a lot of yeah. ways, where it's just like cut yourself off from those emotions. So <laughs> that's yeah. super interesting. So to your point, like yeah, you know, the biggest thing that we can do, like if you want real strength, like it takes fucking courage. To mm-hmm. be like, I'm scared shitless right now. I mm-hmm. just lost my job. I have a house and two kids. And I have no fucking clue how I'm going to pay the mortgage and how I'm going to like feed my family. I don't know what I'm going to do. Like that takes balls. Instead of being like, no, you know what? I'll, I'll it, everything's fine. Mm-hmm. Everything's just okay, mm-hmm. and I'll just figure it out. And like the answer is not at the bottom of a you know Jim Bean like bottle. You know, and, and that's <laughs> yeah. that's the unfortunate part is that when we get to that space of having to tell ourselves and other people that everything's fine and that we can't be with some of those emotions, that's where it really leads to problems. Right. Connor, I wanna I wanna ask about the the types of people that come out to the events. Mm-hmm. So um is it is it kind of like these these hundred and fifty people or so here in Vancouver, is it a lot of like rah rah rah, we already agree with what you're going through? Because mm. I went to I Taylor, that same Taylor, Taylor and I were in the in the Halifax Public Library once and there was this there's this banner for uh, for like a seminar that was going on, and it said, "Don't bubble wrap your children." Um, and and I looked at Taylor and and I said to him, I was like, "How many parents that do bubble wrap their children are actually going to turn up to that seminar? <laughs> yeah. It's probably just yeah. going to be a bunch of people who already agree with that concept yeah. and are going because they're like, yeah, I want to meet other parents like that.' But is it is it true 
for the man talks, or or do you get people who are are willing to be kind of converted or accepting of the ideas that you're talking? I like about? that converted, 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 <laughs> converted like like we're and also do you feed them the body of Christ? Yeah, and yeah. Uh, do you drink a little bit of the blood? Uh, little little do you know, I'm writing my own Bible right now. It's the book of man talks, not the book of Mormon. Can we um, be apostles, please? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm looking for some new disciples. For you guys like to sign up. No, but um, it, it's a great question, and you know, a lot of times, like attracts like. Right, and so it's it's easy to create a space sometimes where you have an idea and you can put it out to people, and you'll attract in those people who like really want to hear it. Um, it's harder, on the other hand, to attract the people who really need it, but might not be quite open to it. Mm. And so what we've done is is really created a brand that allows some of those people to come in and the, and the structure. So we always have three speakers at each event, uh, unless we do some sort of special where we're like fundraising <coughs> for a charity. Right. Um, and those three people, you know, some of them are like mainstream. Like we've had Manny Malhotra from the Canucks mm-hmm. uh, come and speak. And so he's mm-hmm. going to bring in guys that would normally not come to something like this yeah. because they're interested in coming to hearing what he has to say. Yeah. But then I'll, I, like, I worked with him to be open and vulnerable and talk about his life in a way that he had never talked about before. Mm. So we, we use access points to bring in people that normally wouldn't be a part of the conversation. And um, you know, sometimes that's by bringing in athletes, sometimes that's by bringing in guys that nobody's ever freaking heard of before, yeah, right. but they just have this incredible story and their buddies come out to hear them speak right. and they talk about their addiction for the first time and their buddies are like, holy, holy shit, holy shit. Like yeah. I didn't know this was happening. Yeah. And so a perfect example of that is not at the last event because that was on Monday, but a month ago we had an event. And it was about overcoming adversity. And that exact thing happened where a guy shared his personal story about battling with alcohol. And, you know, some of the people in his life knew and some didn't. And I asked a question after he spoke to the entire audience. I said, what's one thing that you've been avoiding in your life? Because he got to that point of, um, you know, being addicted to alcohol because he was avoiding all the things in his life, Mm. uh, a a lot of the emotions. And I gave him a chance to connect to like all the 150 people in the room to connect with one another. And afterwards, um, you know, I opened the space and I was like, okay, so share with the entire audience what some of the things are that you've been avoiding. And there's this guy at the very, very back and he puts his hand up and I point at him. He stands up and he's like six foot six, like this big dude. And I said, cool, so what's one thing that you've been avoiding? And he said, you know, I've never been anything like this before. And um, my girlfriend actually said that I should come check it out. And I was, I like refused to because I said, I don't need this shit. And he said, but she bought me a ticket because it's almost like she knew it was what was best for me. And he said, now that I've been sitting here, I realized that what I've been avoiding is my sobriety. And, oh, wow. and so out of that conversation, you know, he and I, he was able to get help. He talked to the speaker who had dealt with it. He, uh, ended up following up with me that week, and then we kept in contact. And he um, has since gone to see a therapist to deal with it. And yeah, you know, it's it's incredible because, it, and, and this isn't to say that the people that show up are broken or that we're only talking about Ooh, this like right. dark shit. Yeah, like a lot of a lot of these people are incredible, you know, business owners that are running like seven figure businesses, and mm-hmm. you know, some of them are people that work in corporate enterprises and crush it at life, and then some of them are just everyday people. But we do. We have really cultivated and designed it in a way that it opens up the space for 
um, the people who are naturally going to come there and then the people who could really use it but might not usually show up to something like that. Mm. I see. Yeah. That, like that, that sounds amazing to me in the way that, and kind of bringing it back to how I was talking about social health and, and not, not necessarily having to talk about all this dark shit that, you know, you, you, that is like a mountain you have to climb, but just to start acting in a, in a, in a way that you really wanted to act like for probably most of your life mm-hmm. or on some subconscious level you did, but yeah. didn't because of the social structures that were put in place that made you act the way you do. And just social health in the way of like, I went through a, uh, I went through a huge change when I was around 20 years old. I was in an athletic uh, background, uh, really high level hockey player for all of my life. And when I left hockey and started getting into yoga and I started, uh, I took a yoga teacher training and when I, and it was really that experience of taking that first t- teacher training where I was really opened up to like sharing and actually talking about what you're feeling and, and trying to access first what you're feeling and then to deliver it verbally mm. uh, or vocally. And that was a huge, huge shift for me where just, I mean, where like I was never a bad person and, but people come up to me now Anyone who who knows me from high school would come up and be like, "Holy shit, dude!" Yeah, like, yeah, you've changed. You have changed. <laughs> yeah, and like, and not like a, <coughs> like, oh, you've changed, or like, oh my god, you've changed, and I don't know you anymore. But just like, you're just different, man. Like, mm, yeah. in in almost every way, and. And I'm like, yeah, and I love it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's yeah. always like a healthy, positive thing, yeah. right? Like that's, yeah. I mean, you know what? What we do is we just have men come and tell the autobiographies up until this point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, when you think about how we've learned in our in our lives, like whether you learn from your parents or from a coach in your life or a mentor, or brother, or friend, like whoever it is, it's just stories, mm-hmm. and it's and it's usually the personal stories that are the most impactful, right? Like I will. The, the things that have impacted my life are always from a story and, and almost never from like, you know, some book that's a formula that's teaching me about, you know, how to be like this perfect sex god or something yeah, like that. Like right. it's, a, it's, a, it's a story. Yeah. I want to know your story. Yeah. I, I want to know what that is like for, for you. And because, and, you know, this, the idea of uh, you just spent the last whatever, like 18 minutes talking about man talks. And I'm like, this is fucking perfect. Like this is exactly what. What we need today, like, and and I'm so glad that it's going to be spreading into all these other cities. How did this all? What did this come from? Yeah, so the, you know, this came from my personal story, and um, it, it came out of. I mean, just to give you the sort of Cole's notes, like, like I said, I grew up in Alberta, and I did construction after high school because I didn't know what I wanted to do, and um, I had some pretty limiting beliefs about my capacities in life. Because um, I didn't do very well in school, because you know, I was always told that I had ADD and I'd never be able to focus. Brian and... just found out he has ADHD. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. we had somebody on the podcast who who had it, and I was like, I really identify with a lot of these things. So I, I booked a doctor's appointment, and they're like, Yep, yep, you yeah, got yeah, it. You have it. Yeah. yeah so I I was diagnosed um, in like grade two. Okay. And this, oh, is, wow. this is back in like late 80s, early 90s. And so like some 83, some 30, 33 next month. Okay. Um, but so I was one of the first kids on Ritalin, right? Oh, and, right. and like one of the very first kids, uh, I was the first kid in my school for sure. And so it was really interesting because there is a certain stigma with that. Anyway, that's beside the point. Um, 
So I did construction, and I hated doing construction, but I was good at what I did. Got offered an opportunity to go do geotechnical engineering, which is a fancy way of saying you test and measure rocks and dirt. Right. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> uh, and the company that I was working with was going to pay for half of my tuition, and I had a guaranteed job after with a salary and blah, blah, blah. And I didn't want to do that. Um, and so I had a conversation with my dad, and I had always had a passion for singing and music. I was really creative. Uh, but I had never pursued that, and so he encouraged me to pursue that. Like, were you the kid that just like was like just singing, just belting it out in the in the shower all and, the like, time, like Michael Jackson everywhere? Yeah, yeah nice. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I was always like I was a music fanatic. Like I would listen to Michael Jackson and then Tupac and then Metallica. Yeah, yeah, right? okay. and like that <laughs> would that would be how it would go. And the Beastie Boys would come right after. That. Yeah, yeah. Um, so so I decided to give that a go. I went and had a couple lessons. Found that I had a bit of a knack. Um, for singing opera, of all things. Um, started to learn about music a little bit, learned about music, went and did my degree. I got accepted into UBC and, and U of T, came out to Vancouver, because it's Vancouver and it's stunning. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you know, started doing the degree, got to go sing in China and Czech Republic and Germany and France, Italy, New York, Toronto, here with the Vancouver Symphony. Um, and on paper, it looked like I had this really freaking great life, you know, like I had this great career where it looked like I was, you know, passionate about and I had this great girlfriend and I had my motorcycle and like I had the sort of like all the things that equal what it looks like to have like a really successful life in our society. And behind the scenes, I, I had been struggling for almost a decade with, with, um, with an addiction, with, with a sex addiction and to porn. And it was something that had really negatively impacted my life in a really big way. How did that start? Like like was that something that that for cuz you're you said you're 33. So yeah. like did that start at a young age with like like yeah. you stumbled across like a an old like hustler or something or It was all it was all online. So online. Like, this is like back in the day when like you know a photo would load like one, like really one slow. line yeah, at yeah, a yeah, time yeah. it's like <laughs> okay I can see your face. Yeah. Okay, and I can see boobs. You're like come <laughs> on, come on, almost at the nipple. Yeah. I know I know exactly what you're talking and about. And videos were like out of the question too. <laughs> yeah, oh totally. Totally like that yeah. shit would never happen. So it started there. It started, uh, started and there. around like how I, I'm actually super curious about this. Yeah. So it it started like how early did this? Do, do you think that this like this was, sort of addiction kind of started? I mean, I discovered that when I was like 13, like 12, yeah. or, 12 or 13, and you know when I started having sex, I was like 15, mm-hmm. um, which I think is normal for. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe yeah. not normal for like everybody. I just want to preface that for the people out there listening. That but it's not. Like, it's not. Fuck. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Like my kids are 15. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's that uncommon though. I no, mean, it's you not. know, I think it's I. Yeah. I yeah, we were it, all. I was fifteen, sixteen, sixteen. Yeah. yeah. So you know, you win, Taylor. All right, Jesus Christ. Jesus. Yeah. I, was just, I was just making everyone Fine. feel comfortable. Do you want a medal? <laughs> we'll post it out on social media. <laughs> but um, yeah, so you know, it started at, at an early age, and, and it wasn't a problem. I mean, the porn was kind of a problem at first. Yeah, it, it was something where it was like just like constant masturbation kind of thing. Like yeah, always just like and always at it, always going to that. Like yeah. n- you know, never like. Getting off without porn in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, and and it's kind of funny because it's like this unspoken thing that like nobody talks about. Yeah, or like guys will joke about it and be like, "Oh yeah, I'd like totally watch some great porn." Or like blah blah blah. Um, and so at first, it wasn't really really an issue, right? Like high school, not didn't really think of it as a problem. I was just like a really horny kid, and uh, it was just like a normal guy thing. 
And, um, you know, and then got, got my heart broken a little bit in high school, got cheated on, um, caught the whole situation and oh, ended up, no. oh, no. like beating the shit out of this guy, which was unfortunate. Oh, I, no. I, I do regret that. Yeah. Like, I lost my, lost my cool. Yeah. Um, but you know, then after that, I kind of like shut down a little bit and started to go in a different direction. And, you know, I, I lacked a lot of self-confidence as, uh, as a young guy, you know, even though on the outside, again, it looked like I had a lot of things going for me. I was like tall, good looking guy, you know, I was 6'2", like 200 pounds, played hockey. Um, it was in good shape and was not hard pressed to find women. To find women. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the problem was, is that in, I would get into these like serious relationships and constantly be just on the hunt. And for other women or yeah, okay. For yeah. other women and for porn. So so I would I would like I would basically use sex for everything. So if I wanted if like I had a big win in my life and I felt like really great, like I was on a high, um, I would use sex to celebrate. If I was right. feeling really low and I just failed and there was something like emotional that was coming up with me, I would turn to that to escape from it. So it was really a catalyst for me to escape from life in so, in so, so, so many ways, which is the classic form of addiction, right? And was it something that you, uh, like within your, your relationships, was it something that you were able to kind of keep hidden or, oh, yeah. or did it just constantly kind of like come up and, and sort of burn bridges? It did, like... It didn't come up. I was really good at like keeping things hidden. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, this is this is sort of like before the age of like Facebook, social media, right? and, yeah. and your fucking notifications being everywhere. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, it definitely stayed in the shadows for a long time, and I sort of battled with it behind the scenes. You know, I went through, I struggled with depression and and got laid off from my job while I was trying to like figure out singing and stuff like that, and. You know, there was some days where, you know, and this might sound crazy, but there was some days where I would just like sit and watch porn and, and masturbate for like five, six hours straight. Yeah. And like that's what I would accomplish in the day. And it was and it was like depressing and sad. But the reality is is that a lot of guys struggle with that and it's yeah. just not talked about. And so I started to think that there was something wrong with me. And then I started to have a lot of shame in and around my sexuality. But that shame created I just want to make this point before yeah, I no, jump please. in, but like that shame created this like hunger, you know, for more, for for more. It was like the and because it was like this um, self-deprecating tool where the more shame that I felt, I it would I would get stuck in this cycle, right? Yeah. So I'd feel like crap, and then I would start pulling myself out of it, and then it would be like this reason for me to to like find it more because like the more um, hidden it was, the more like exciting it mm. was, right? Did you see the movie Shame? I, I actually haven't seen it, but everybody's like, you got to watch. I, funny enough, on Sunday, I was like, I should watch that movie. You, straight up, you literally just like, you just dropped the movie. Like, okay. it, it just, it sounds, it sounds like your experience sounds so goddamn similar to Michael Fassbender's character in that movie. Mm. And, and that movie is, that was the first time I've ever like, um, I've ever looked at sex addiction and and because like I I think before I saw that movie I would go sex addiction that sounds fucking sweet you know yeah, like yeah. having sex all the time great like perfect but then I watched shame and I went oh my oh my god my heart yeah like that must be just so fucking hard and 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 one of the things that that I'm really curious about in your situation and and it's interesting to watch in in the movie and watch in his situation is at what point did you start to realize that 
Like, at what point did you admit, like, okay, I got a problem. I, I got a fucking problem. And how did and how did you know? Because, like, like you said, it's not something that is generally talked, talked about. about. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's kind of funny because there is that like sex addiction isn't. I mean, there's probably a lot of people out there even listening to this right now. They're like, sex addiction isn't a thing. And probably and 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 while you were saying that, and just to like kind of piggyback on that is. There's probably a lot of there's probably a lot of people out there that go, that go like, oh, that sounds like a nice problem to have. I never get yeah. laid, you know. Yeah. Well, it's like yeah, so there's the opposite end of the spectrum. Right? We had we had a guest on while we were here, and she she had um, she has a whole bunch of crazy symptoms. She has a mystery disease. No one knows what it is, but one of the symptoms that she had was um, uh, her her genitals like got super swollen for like three weeks, mm. and so sensitive that she would just constantly be on the precipice of like having an orgasm and then it got to the point where she was just having orgasms uncontrollably and of course people are going to be like that sounds sweet yeah. but she was like you it can't fucking sucked like it, you can't function like you can't yeah. you know um i know that those are two very different things but it's that kind of <laughs> it's that kind of thing where people go people don't don't really sit and think yeah like how do you think that actually would feel like how do you think that actually would affect your life if all you are doing constantly is think, on the hunt for the next, like, you yeah. know, the you next. You don't get much done. No, of course like, not. So you, how did you? Like, yeah, so um, so I fell in love, and um, I fell in love with this beautiful woman who, um, you know, I w- wanted to like quote unquote change for right. Like mm-hmm. this woman showed up in my life, and I was like, wow, this actually could be a thing. This this could be it for me. And and the problem with that that I started to discover really quickly is that. Um, I, I felt like I had no control over this this part of me. There was this sort of like um, beast or like thing that was just like in control. And so, you know, I found myself in this relationship and was trying to manage this part of myself that just wanted to go out and have have sex at every opportunity. That you know wanted to go and and, and watch porn, and and that was impacting my relationship. And that's when I started to like really tune in. Is like, okay, this is a bit of an issue because I didn't know how to. I didn't know how to stop. And not only that was like the more that I tried to sort of contain it, the more fierce that I got. Right. And so mm. out of that, I've I've got this saying now: is that what you avoid, you become. Right. So if you're trying to avoid grief, you're going to become more grief ridden. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And. Um, so I started to see that there, and you know, we it, I managed it here and there for a little while. Um, I had some, and this was all happening behind the scenes. Nobody knew what was going on. None of my friends, none of my close friends, not one single person, not one single person knew what was going on. Jesus, not Christ. one. And wow. like my my buddies back home had seen me sort of like in my younger days go through. You know, go through the gamut of like sleeping around. They just thought you were a stallion. Yeah, like, they, they just were like, you know, there's yeah, and there's guys. that's the thing is that like in male culture, that's sort of like oh, you're you're a, you're a champion. Yeah. It's like now being on the other side is like yeah, you know, like sexual conquest and like sleeping around. Like that's not that it's it's a bad thing. Um, like you can have partners, and I, and and I'm not like an advocate for like celibacy or some shit like that. But understanding that you know, if somebody is sleeping with you know, five women a week. There's something going on behind the scenes. Mm, like there's something like yeah. really going yeah, on. That'd yeah. be like that'd be like saying I drank a two six of rum or Jack Daniels every night, Monday to Friday. Right. You know, and yeah. like people like if that if your buddy said that you'd be like, Are Holy you okay? Shit. Yeah, like, we, yeah, like we're going to the yeah, fucking yeah, doctor right now. You'd say they're yeah. an alcoholic. Yeah. Totally. But like, you know, if 
if one of our buddies comes to us and is like, oh, I banged a different chick every single day this week. And I, you, you, like most guys are going to be like, awesome, man, great job, yeah, exactly. like good work, like you're, you're the fucking man, right? And then all of a sudden, if that's going on constantly, uh, mm. you know, and consistently, and then you don't even see like the pornography side of it behind the scenes, which is, you know, probably even worse. Mm. Um, like you don't know how they're really struggling. So yeah. anyway, I, I've, fell in love and didn't know how to quit and it destroyed the relationship in this sort of like Hollywood-esque uh, fashion where she found out that I had been sleeping with somebody and it was, uh-huh. um, you know, it was, it was heartbreaking. I, I tried to, I tried to like lie my way out of it because up until that point, I could talk my way out of anything. Yeah. Like I had talked my way out of any and every single situation and so I tried to like lie about it and she basically said, I'm going to go to my friend's place until you can come clean about what's going on. And um, I had been kind of sleeping with this one specific person on the side. I mean, there was lots of other ones, but there right. was one that had been consistent for a while that she had kind of known about and she discovered some, some stuff. Um, and this woman showed up at my doorstep while my you know, partner is off staying with her friends. And uh, anyway, <clears throat> nothing ended up happening that night because I was like, I need to get my life together. Like, this is wrecking my life. And uh, so I said, I'm not, like, nothing's happening. I'm going to take you home. And it happened to be snowing that night. And so I'm, take, I'm driving her back to her place. And we're going through, I was living out in Victoria at this time. And we're driving through downtown. And it's like snowing outside. And we pull up to a set of lights, the red lights. And my girlfriend walks across the intersection. Oh, fuck. No. And, no. and looks into the car and sees me and sees this woman that she has, like, known that uh. I'm sleeping with. And... Uh, and it's just like heartbroken. I can see it on her face. Mm. And I'm like, you know, and then it like really hits me that there's just some actions that you can't talk your way out of and that they have repercussions. And so that started at like a year and a half long journey of, you know, going to a therapist, getting help, going on the path of recovery. Um, and, I, and she was alongside you for this, this path of recovery? No. Or that, that was that? that was like that. after that moment, it was, that was over? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we we mm. kept in communication a little bit, and you know, tried to see if it would come come back to to course. But um, you know, it's just like the damage had been done, and yeah. you know, and and because I had like lied, I think the thing is like if I had just been honest about it up front, she was really the type of person that would have stuck by me. Yeah, and be, but because I, you know, I wasn't really like courageous enough or brave enough to talk about it. And there was so much shame. Like I was entrenched in so much shame around it that it just was impossible to talk about. So, mm. um, so that journey was probably um, one of the best things that happened to me. I spent a year and a half literally just like reading everything that I could on human psychology, like cognitive behavioral therapy and NLP and Carl Jung and Freud and like the whole, the whole gamut mm-hmm. and just really started to understand why we make the choices that we make. And when was this? What, how old were you uh, when this incident happened and throughout that year? Um, so I would have been 28. Okay. 28 when all that happened. Okay. And so mid-29 yeah, mid twenty nine is when I started to kind of like come out of that and and decide that because I didn't I didn't work I quit singing I like I dropped everything like I literally dropped everything to try and get my life together. Wow. And how, I, how did you did you did you start talking to your friends about this too? Then yeah, so that's actually to come full circle of the question that was the catalyst for Man Talks. Um, after I came out of this space. Uh, because I had so much shame, I didn't want to tell anybody. And so I lived out of the back of my 2007 Pontiac G5 for a few weeks, which is 
the worst thing. Yeah. <laughs> That's the worst thing to do. But I was yeah. so like, I was so full of pride that I was like, I don't want to tell anybody this. Like, I don't want to tell anybody that, you know, I just like wrecked my life and just, you know, really hurt. I thought I was a monster. Yeah. And, um, but so in the back of my car one night, I was like, well, I really have two choices. I can either tell people and get help or I can end my life and nobody has to know about it. And, you know, the second choice didn't seem very viable. Yeah. Um, it didn't seem like a good idea. I'm very, very grateful that I had enough, um, I had enough people that I like really loved and cared about in my life that I knew cared about me that uh, I didn't make that choice. And so I started telling people. I started talking to a couple close friends and one of them, um, I sat down and had a conversation with him and I like laid it all on the table and he knew this woman that I had been sleeping with. They were like close friends and he had no idea that it was going on behind the scenes. And I laid it all out on the table for him and it was, you know, it was emotional. And, uh, at the end of it, he just looked at me and he's, you know, he's crying and he's like, I just want to say thank you to you because you've given me permission to talk about something that I never thought that I would talk about. And proceeded to tell me that two months before he tried to hang himself because he had been dealing with depression. Oh, wow. And and in that moment, I was like, "How is it that we are so close to each other and, and two yet of these so massive far secrets. away? Yeah. yeah, and like neither of us had like I had no idea that he was struggling with depression because I was yeah. so caught up in my own bullshit, mm-hmm. you know. And in that moment, I really realized that there was an opportunity for for guys to have close relationships mm-hmm. and. And I started to like really think about why is it that I couldn't talk to him about these things, and you know why isn't that I couldn't go to him? And and it really came down to the fact that I felt like I was a failure as a man. That those things were happening, and I was just a failure as a man and as a human being. Mm-hmm. And that was really unfortunate. And so I wanted to do something about that. And you know, man talks didn't come into existence for like another two and a half years after that. Right after that conversation, but in that moment, I was like, I am going to do something about this. Like I'm going to be a stand or a cause. Like I'm, I'm going to try and really do something about this. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it just took a while. Man, so, it, it makes me just feel so, uh, just so grateful for like the two of you, Brian and Taylor, and like mm-hmm. to be able to have you guys around for for anything that ever arises. And I, I feel like I have that support system like at any time. And just like, and you know, I was as we were having this conversation, I'm like, why? What is it that I've gone through? Like, what is it that that I've gone through that has made it okay for me to like open up and be be vulnerable and be um, and be compassionate and empathetic towards others? Like other, you know, the two of you. If you came to me, it would be the exact same thing. And I don't know. I just like I think that I, I'm just so grateful for. I think that um, that's something that I've, and kind of going back to how I was saying, like getting into yoga and doing this teacher training, and, and then you know, and, and many since then, and just being in that environment. I, I run yoga studios back in Halifax, and uh, and we all we all teach, so we're all kind of in this in, in a similar environment um, in terms of a part of our work life. And I'd like to know your thoughts on it. And the that that ability to be compassionate, mm. uh, not just from like the yoga philosophy or doing these the things that we've done in terms of you know training but the idea or the 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 fact that uh male participation is rising in in yoga um which is ironic because historically 
like a hundred years ago, no one but men did yoga. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> um, we spend all of our time, I spend 90 plus percent of my life with only women all the time. Mm. And like, where does embracing femininity come into come into play in regards to having men be just better men because mm. it's this it's this massive stigma that you just don't embrace female qualities yeah which is like dude it's like you go to the gym yeah. you go to the gym you go to the gym you go to the gym you're going to get stiff cuz you didn't fucking stretch mm-hmm. and if you stretch and stretch and stretch and stretch and stretch you get weak cuz you never went to the gym and you need that balance and we're all and we're all male i mm. we identify as male like uh, physiologically, but we have to have femininity. We have to have a balance of femininity. I think I got that from theater school. Honestly, I think that like like I I feel very very much in touch with my feminine side, and I think like I think, and again, this is just me talking. Like I'm just I'm sitting here going like, why am I the way I am? Like this this conversation is just making me feel really introspective. But like I think it's I think it I think for me it's come from theater school and like. And just exploring, exploring like all the different aspects of, of different characters, and and why you know why certain characters react the way they do, and I don't know. And Bridie too, I think, plays a big role in that. My wife, like, because she's just also just such a like strong, I don't know, communicator. But it, uh, yeah, just like, spending time with so many women. I just yeah, did, I just yeah. taught a yoga teacher training, and it was all women in the courses. Twenty women uh, plus uh, three three teachers, mm-hmm. and me, including myself. And the uh, two other teachers are women. And at one point, someone goes, "Taylor, do you, like, God, can you kind of not wait till the end of the training to you know get back some some guy time?" And I was like, "Man, I don't even notice. I never <laughs> once identify with me male and you all female, and that there's some separation or difference there. And yeah. that's helped me massively becoming comfortable in terms of talking about emotion and and accessing that side of myself that." allows me to be a better man. Yeah. Are you tired of hearing the same old wellness advice? It's time to dig deeper and listen to America Dissected from Crooked Media, the podcast that's cutting into the science, culture, and policy that shapes our health. From doctors fighting for their rights to the surprising truths about sunscreen, America Dissected dives deep into the state of health. Tune in every Tuesday for new episodes of America Dissected, available on all major podcast platforms. I I had a lot of um, really close girlfriends growing up, and I always liked hanging around girls because I felt like I could have like much more authentic conversations with them because I wasn't worried about trying to be some someone that I wasn't, mm-hmm. and it it kind of. For me, it, the way that it that it blends into my experiences, I think a lot about. I worked in corporate training in in Dubai for a few years, and we talked a lot about the the foundation of of a high performing team, which is ultimate ultimately good relationships in an organization is built on trust. Mm-hmm. And the best way to uh, cultivate trust is through being vulnerable. Mm. So. To me, like powerful relationships are built on vu- vulnerability and expressing, being comfortable expressing who you are, and and that's why I think like Taylor, you and I are best friends. Jeremy and I are best friends because we can be our true selves when right. we're with one another. I think there's two things that I <clears throat> want to jump in and just share there. So like 
you know, number one, you guys talked about yoga and theater, and and these are all things that we in our society generally equate with with the feminine sort of energy, if you wanted to say, or feminine characteristics. And the the funny thing is, is that there's a stigma that if you do those things, you're gay um, yeah. or you're less yeah. of a man, right? Like those yeah. are those are the things. And like, like you know, I'm one of the like I, I went from construction to singing opera. You know, and like, and it's such a, such a weird dichotomy. But the the thing that I want to emphasize there is, if you go back, again, not that not that we need to make America great again, or like go backwards in time or anything like that. But if you go back and look at like Spartan warriors, for example, um, they had this process called goji, and in goji they would bring they would take the young boys away when they were like seven or eight years old, and they would start training them to be a warrior. Now, Spartan warriors were legitimately considered the best hand-to-hand combat fighter ever to have lived. And part of their training as they grew, grew up over like the next decade or a dozen years or so and, and got trained, they would spend half of their day on physical training and hand-to-hand combat, and the other half of their day would be spent on music and the arts and writing poetry. Mm. Like, this is what I call an integrated man. And for the most part, our our culture is built to like divide genders very clearly and to train men on how to be this like hypermasculine really aggressive guy and to sort of avoid those more sort of quote unquote feminine characteristics mm-hmm. of learning things like writing poetry like even 200 years ago writing poetry was a very masculine thing to do mm-hmm. yeah. but if you do it now it's like you're somehow weak and you're a bitch and like you're all these things and it's like mm-hmm. no like you're just expressing yourself and so so that's you know, it's it's really interesting how those two things have been separated now. Like, where where did we get, where did that yeah. that fork in the road get get plunged? And like, how did that happen? Where? <laughs> so um, I'm going to interject and and say most likely World War One and World War Two. Um, when you think when you look at a lot of the a lot of the sayings historically, and this is an area that I've done a lot of research in, obviously because of what I do. But when you look at things like um, man up. Man up was used in World War II when they would yell at the men to man up and get into the tanks to go and fight and most likely die. Yeah, right. Right? And a lot of uh, suck it up, suck it up is for fighter pilots when they're wearing that mask and they were they were like flying, they'd hit like uh, you know insane G's and they would throw up into their mask. The other pilot would tell them to suck it up to basically swallow up the vomit again. Right. So a lot of these like hyper masculine sayings that we have have come out of World War One and World War Two. Which are huge places of aggression, right? Like it's just like it's driven by aggression. But they come from a they come from a very specific action, and then and then mm-hmm. they then they've taken on a life of their own, mm-hmm. which is surrounded and padded by all of this uh, pseudo masculinity. Maybe maybe you can yeah. call it mm-hmm. um, that isn't really what masculinity is, but what we've what we've kind of d- decided as a society that it should, it should that be. it should be, yeah. which isn't the truth. Um, and it kind of reminds me of a of of a lot of. Um, if, if I, I do a lot of philosophical readings, of reading and and study, and this idea that you know the the ego and there's there's a lo- just a lot of like layers to the mind that basically uh, that basically provide this thing uh, where it's called the veil of misperception that you're just your reality is skewed based on past experiences and social structures and it, and it, and it kind of clouds our ability to see what is actually real and and not real. Based on the person that's seeing, but real based on like a universal consciousness of what 
we can all agree is reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and this is all kind of all these social structures and and just all this like mud and and shit. I was I was watching um, this movie the other day. There's this really short doc on uh, Joseph Campbell. And the movie started out with this author telling a story about a golden Buddha. So, you know, thousand, thousand, couple thousand years ago, there's a town and they're going to be under siege by an army. And they have a really immaculate golden Buddha statue in the town. So they don't want the army that's coming through to pillage the statue for its gold. So they cover it in stone. So it looks like a really ordinary statue of Buddha. So the army comes through, they pillage the town, and they leave the statue because they go by and they say, oh, well, it's just a regular old statue of Buddha in stone, so whatever, we'll leave it. So then they, but they killed everybody in the town, and the town is, is deserted now. So over the next few hundred years, as the town repopulates, no one in the town knows that it was once covered. And he talks about how uh, a, a child goes to meditate at the base of the Buddha, one day, hundreds of years later. And as he's getting up, his knee knocks the Buddha and a piece of stone falls off and it reveals some of the gold underneath. So then he calls everybody in the village over to the, over to the statue and they all start ripping away and they notice, oh my God, this is this immaculate Buddha statue. And they're all like, you know, they're all, they're all sitting in meditation and kind of praising this, this, this experience, this thing that's happened. And the moral of the story was that we all are born in this really, really true way. And we all have a trueness to us or a true self to, to us. And over time, society and social structures, they start to pile on the stone mm. until something like a traumatic event or something that's, that's life-altering, like the realization of an, of an addiction or the, the cessation of a sports career and diving into a completely different realm or mm. going to theater school and realizing that that's what you want to pursue. Mm. There's these things in life that occur where we, where we start to realize that we're gold underneath, and and then we and then we have an ache to let other people realize that they are also gold underneath, which is what we're trying to do with this show. Yeah, what exactly. you're trying to do with man talks, yeah. and uh, and I, I, you know, not to sit around and pat ourselves on the back for what we do, but <laughs> but aren't we fucking awesome though? <laughs> like, goddamn, we're awesome. So then, then <laughs> I like to, that story though. I I love that. I and, think that's really cool. And yeah. to throw it to you, Connor, and and talk a little bit of of and use that as a as an analogy, Taylor. Um, what is it that you guys are are trying to do? Like, what are the steps? That you're providing, or the tools that you're providing people with to to create this change or, or reveal their true self in their lives. Yeah. So, you know what what we really focus in on is um, building better men through conversation, connection, and community. And you know we we focus in on so I, I, there's three types of men in our life. I'm just going to preface your question with, sure. with this information. Um, and then, and then I'll answer it. Um, but there's three types of men in our life. There's the men that look up to us. So there's the men that are kind of like behind us, looking up to us. There's the men who stand beside us, and they, you know, they walk beside us. And they're the men that, um, you know, really support us and have our back. And then there's the men that call us forward. And in our culture, there are few and far between. Most men don't have a man that calls them forward in their life. These are like the mentors. These are the men that mm. really know them well enough to know, like, hey, you've been drinking every day this week. Like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Are you okay? That's not you. Like, calling them forward into, you know, it could sound cheesy, but calling them forward into their greatness of what they're actually capable of. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for most men, when they think about it, if I ask guys this question 
all over North America, who is a man that calls you forward in your life? And so many guys don't have one. Or they're like, mm. I mean, I guess my dad, maybe. Yeah. Right? And it's like, well, what about one of your friends? Who who in your community calls you forward? And so really what we do with Man Talks is, you know, we have these events where this conversation, this community is being built at an international level and then hopefully a global level. And then what we do from there is we have um, mastermind groups that are just for guys. And it's for the men that are willing to step into a space and stand next to you know their brothers, but also to find another man who's willing to call them forward, that they're willing to be called forward by. Because that's one of the biggest things is that so many men have, have relationships based on uh, competition mm-hmm. instead of challenge. And when your relationship is strictly built on competition, you never really get to know the other person because you're always competing against them. You never really have that like intimate connection. And so we've built these groups and we have, you know, 70 plus members here in Vancouver now. And these groups are going to be going in Calgary and Ottawa and Toronto uh, over the course of like, the next three, three to six months. And then Halifax. Yeah. And then Halifax. Hell yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, these are guys that are, some of them are just, Incredible fathers and husbands. Some of them, some of them run, you know, seven, eight, nine-figure businesses, right? Some of them are, you know, in the corporate world. They're, some of them are athletes and fitness. Like it's, it's crazy, but they are all committed to calling one another forward and mm-hmm. and really being a stand for one another. And so that's that's what we do. We've built a structure for it. Um, you know, it's a it's a year long commitment. So it's not just like this. You pop in for a month and you pop out because it's so easy for. That's one of the other things is that like most men lack real commitment in their life and they're scared shitless of it. You know, mm-hmm. like they're really scared shitless of of true commitment of like committing to somebody or something or something that's bigger than themselves. Mm-hmm. So we've we've created the space for that in the mastermind groups. Then how can and how can people get involved in, involved who are who are not located in the cities that you guys are currently in? Yeah, so we're building an online community to do the exact same thing. Um, we've started to have guys apply from like. For the mastermind group from like all over the place, like there was a guy that applied from like Turkey and oh. Cork, Ireland, cool, and awesome. like Wichita and like really weird places <laughs> that I've never even heard of. I was like, that place actually exists. Like, what? Um, so we're building an online group that will do the same thing, um, and we we keep them to uh, a max of like ten in person, um, but online we're gonna have them be just a little bit bigger, like maybe a dozen or so, um, so people can apply for that and. Um, you know, we're building an app so that everybody, like a Man Talks app, so that everybody can communicate within mm. our community and like be really engaged. So that you know, if you're going to go to Chicago or Atlanta or San Francisco, you can connect with some really kick-ass men that you know mm. are are going to be there to support you. That's awesome. Mm. I, I think that's really, really fucking cool what you're up to. Yeah. Um, uh, where can people find you? Where, where, like, where can people find this information? Um, yeah, so they can go to mantalks.com. Um, you know, the podcast is there, the blogs there, some of the videos from the from the talks are are there, but uh, also on YouTube. Um, they can go to Twitter, Instagram. We got all the social media channels. Um, Facebook is just mantalks. <clears throat> You'll see the orange logo with the M with like the little suit tie in it, uh, or you know they can reach out through the website uh, on the contact page on mantalks.com. That'll go right to me if I can support it anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then feel free to hit me up, like you know, find me on on Facebook and Twitter. I I love hearing people's stories. And um, are you just at Connor Beaton or yeah, okay, sweet. yeah, at Connor Beaton. Um, 
<clears throat> I, I probably have somebody reach out like every day or two, cool. um, sharing their experience. And um, my TED Talk has had a big part of that. And so, if you're wanting to hear more, you can. Uh, if you want to hear me sing opera, go yeah. check go check out my yeah, TED Talk. I, I do sing opera in it, and uh, it's been featured on like UN Women and Good Man Project. Awesome, yeah, man, Connor, thank you so much for, for taking your me. time out of your day today. I know it was like real last minute that yeah. we kind of like squeezed you in, so uh, it really means a lot. This 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 is. Uh, uh, this has been a stellar conversation. Yeah, it really yeah. was amazing and an amazing opportunity to take our show into another realm of health that we haven't yeah. d- that we haven't been uh, that we, we haven't been exposed to ourselves and we haven't exposed our listeners to. So thank you for that. Yeah, yeah. and I just I just wanted to say one last quick thing for all the women that are out there listening. Um, I don't know if I said this before, but women are the permission card holders for a lot of men to to dive in and have these conversations. Mm. And you know, it's one of the biggest pieces. So if there's ladies out there listening, you know, don't be afraid to get your man involved, whether it's your brother, your husband, your father, um, to send him the podcast from you know your guys's podcast or to find a resource like Man Talks, like whatever it is. A lot of women are the permission card holders for for men out there. So um, you're a part of the conversation. Um, we have, uh, I think you mentioned it actually that like like eighty percent of the people that listen oh, yeah. to our show are are female. Mm. And uh, we were going to ask you if you had any if you had any insight or talk about some points that some some people have brought up to us as to why we have so many people listening to the show that are female yeah. when we. When we started, and Brian, and you mentioned at the beginning that we thought it would be like almost all male. Yeah, like in spite of the dick jokes and the come talk and stuff, like we we were so surprised to. I mean, one of the things that I that. yeah, and and I a friend of mine, I I was hanging out with her uh, uh, one night, and and we were talking about this exact thing, and she was like, I think it's because a lot of. Um, Especially mainstream media, a lot of either whether it be podcasts or television shows or um, uh, you know like online content, men don't typically tend to have really vulnerable, open, raw, compassionate, empathetic conversations, which is what we typically I mean that's like almost every episode we've dropped on this podcast is what we that's what we do mm-hmm. and I think she her, you know she was saying I I think that that's why so many females are are driven towards listening to your to your show and I mean the other thing is that and this is and I think it all ties back into what we were talking about I uh, the with the Maui camps so I, I I go out to Maui like once or twice a year and I help run these surf camps for young adult cancer survivors and we hang out in Maui for like a week or two weeks at a time and people from all over the United States and some some people from Canada come down and we surf for the week and then at the end of the day we all gather and and people just share their experience with cancer and 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 what they've gone through but those camps are rarely attended by men. Now, it's I I I don't know if it's a fact, but I'm pretty sure it's a fact that cancer is not something that is predominantly. Uh, I think humans get cancer. It's not a lot of women get cancer, and a lot of men don't. But men don't tend to go to these camps, and it's not just 
athletes for cancer. It's the same thing I think with first ascents, which is like a, a whitewater kayaking and rock climbing. Like it's it's just predominantly attended by women. And Movember, I mean, that's a lot of work that Movember is doing is like is promoting it, people to get into that is conversation. To trying to just open up and be okay with mm-hmm. like being okay with talking about the things that are hard in your life or the challenges that you've had and being vulnerable because that's a huge part of camp. And that's a huge part of this show. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, I've I've heard of I've heard of uh, some of our female listeners being like, yeah, I try to get my boyfriend to listen, but he's like, ah, I don't want to listen to that like sad shit. Well, it's not that sad. Like, yeah, we're talking about like terminal brain cancer, sure, and that that can be very sad. But also, there's some funny shit that we can find in that conversation. You know what yeah. I mean? And there's some funny shit in that experience, but. But also, you know, and maybe that 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 humor is a, is a is a good way to like sort of, um, you know, it's like putting the carrots in in a in a in a muffin for a kid who doesn't want to eat carrots. Well, it's like, well, that muffin tastes good. <laughs> I feel like it kind of goes to what you to to kind of the permission card holder thing. It's like we have a lot of women that listen to the show, probably for the reason that we are being like really raw and open and compassionate. Um, and, and then, they and just then, love the silky smooth sound of my voice. Right. What, what do you what do you think, Connor? Like do you, sound with the silky smooth voice. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing else. They just tune in. They're like, ah, oh, that's the voice. That's the one. Um, no, you know what? It's it's a it's a combination of a few things, right? Again, it goes back to that stigma and stereotype that, like, you know, men don't or shouldn't talk about. Uh, or listen to or be involved in conversations that are vulnerable. And that's a generalization. I'm not saying that that's the stigma for all men, but for most guys, when they start tuning into stuff like this and they start having the real conversations, it's like, oh shit, should I be doing this? Like, I'm st- I feel something. Um, <laughs> and, and, and like, so that's, you know, so that's kind of, um, that's kind of where it comes from, and women are are generally, and this isn't the case all the time, but are generally a little bit more open to being, you know, deeply self reflective, and to go in and say like, okay, what am I feeling emotionally right now? Not just what am I thinking rationally, but what am I feeling emotionally? And there's this like great quote by Einstein that I always share um, with men because Einstein was the most like iconic. You know, thinker, one of the most iconic thinkers of our time. And he says that the rational mind is a faithful servant and the intuitive mind is the gift. We've created a culture that idolizes the servant and has forgotten about the gift. Mm-hmm. And it's this understanding that the rational mind, and this is from one of the most iconic thinkers, thinkers, quote unquote, of our time, that intuition and emotionality and the emotional body is is the gift it is the key to so many pieces and that the that the rational mind is really a servant to the intuition and when you think about it rationalize break the word down rational lies i think about any bad choice that i made in my life i rationalized it i can rationalize the worst freaking choices yeah. Yeah. in my life. I can yeah. rationalize it and be like, you know what? This is okay. It's okay for me to go do that. It's okay for me to, <laughs> you know, and and like we can rationalize it. But so I think that that's really the biggest thing is that women are very dialed into their emotional body. They're very mm. dialed into their intuition. Um, and they're and they're not afraid of it. They're not afraid to say like, yeah, I feel like shit today. Or like, uh, you know, I'm I'm 
scared of this or I'm worried about that. Uh, it doesn't make them less of a woman. Yeah. Whereas for a guy to say like, I'm going to trust my intuition. It's like you're going to what? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, like you're going to you like that sounds ridiculous. Mm. Um, and for a lot of men, they live in their head. You know, they just live in their brain. And there's right. for a lot of guys, the brain and the D are the two most important important parts mm. of the body, mm-hmm. and the emotional body really gets forgotten about. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. I'm yeah, glad that we got your I'm glad, yeah, I'm glad you you brought that up. Yeah, uh, I really wanted your perspective on that, and we were talking yeah. a lot about that because it's kind of always been this mystery that we were always that we're always trying to figure out. And then it was really uh, Jen Jen King who, who yeah. kind of uh, shed some light on that for us, um, and wanted to throw that your way and see what you thought. But yeah, I mean, I think for the ladies that are out there listening to the podcast, it's like don't give up um, in in inviting the man in your life to to. You know, listen to things like this, or go to events like Man Talks and stuff like that. Mm. It, you know, maybe maybe change your positioning, right? Like if you if you think about selling a computer or a phone or something like that, um, it's about knowing your audience, right? Yeah. And if you really think that something's going to be valuable to your partner or somebody in your life to to check out, you know, if you're positioning it from a, the the space of like this is why I love it. Um, it might not be why he's going to love it, right. and and to understand what he could actually benefit yeah. from. It reminds me, my wife, uh, like when when Stranger Things just started, my wife said something to me like, "Oh my god, Jeremy, you got to watch this show. I think you're going to love it." And she explained it, and it, but like she must have explained it in a way that like didn't touch on like the the sci-fi aspect of it. And I went, huh, yeah, "Yeah, that sounds all right." And then like three weeks later. We're hanging out, and uh, and she's like, "Will you just come, just come here and watch this trailer?" And I'm like, "Trailer for what?" She's like, "It's this, just this thing. Just come watch." I'm like, "All right." Sat down, watched the trailer, and I go, "Oh my god, <laughs> this looks fucking amazing! What is this?" And she's like, "You asshole! Like I told you about this show like three weeks ago, and you brushed it off." I'm like, "Oh well." You- you sold it to me. You didn't, yeah, didn't sell it to me, yeah, it to me yeah. the first time. I mean, I mean, sometimes it's just a matter of like sending an episode and being like, "Hey, listen to this." Exactly. Right. Yeah. With, yeah. Without without even like prefacing exactly. that there's going to be vulnerability. Like, you know, if, I like to say that vulnerability is like uh, for most guys the equivalent of Voldemort in Harry Potter. Like, it's just the thing that you don't say. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it can be uh, it can be the result of of just having people tune in and listen. Yeah. It also helped help that Brady refine their pitch too. Like the first time she didn't have any promotional materials. Right? That's right. Yeah. She, yeah, right. she, then she yeah. came at you with the trailer. So yeah, yeah. Um, she just needed some material. Uh, that's all. Uh, cool. Well, uh, Peter's here. So, uh, he's just, uh, just down the street. So we can wrap up. Sweet. Thanks cool. man. Yeah. Uh, and thank you for listening. Uh, hope you enjoyed that. Um, we, uh, as always, we'll, we'll be back next Monday with another, another interesting, amazing, fun conversation um, and in the meantime it would mean the entire world to us if you headed on over to it, the iTunes store and just gave us a little uh, rating and review and if you haven't subscribed, subscribe um, it's, uh, it's a huge part in keeping us on the, uh, the top 200 um, iTunes charts in the comedy section and, uh, and hey if you don't do iTunes we're also on Google Play and you can check us out on SoundCloud as well um, and we got some fun shit up on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, really silly photos and, and stuff, especially from this Vancouver trip. And the funnest stuff is on... Oh, yeah. Patreon.com slash sickboy. Uh, our Patreon campaign is up and running, and if... Uh, 
You know what? We're halfway to our second goal. We are. And this conversation with Connor, this trip to Vancouver would not have been possible if it wasn't for all of the people who have already contributed to our Patreon campaign. Uh, we love you guys so much for that. And, and words cannot describe how much uh, that means to us. And if you haven't already subscribed to our Patreon, there's some sweet, uh, sweet exclusive content. Uh, so go on over to www.patreon.com slash sickboy. Check it out. And that's it for today. I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. And I'm Jeremy. And this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.